This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. You know, we've been covering this kind of metaphor of fruit and fruitfulness through the first 17 chapters of the Bible, and you can carry that metaphor throughout the entire Bible, but... I get the sense that it's kind of time to turn this over and conclude this and get ready for Advent. And so in this whole idea of God's commanding to be fruitful and multiply, I began to ask this question, is there anywhere where we can look at and go in the scriptures where somebody says, this is fruitfulness? This is what it means to bear fruit. Because that's what we're commanded to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's Paul, which right above Clayton's head, literally. I love I love Paul. That that literally that entire shelf. For those of you watching on YouTube, if you're not, I apologize. That is nothing but Paul. I love Paul. I cannot get enough of Paul. Paul gives us something called the fruit of the spirit and he sets it up and actually Abraham and Ishmael and Hagar and like the, the whole story is talked about throughout this text. We're not going to look at it today, but the whole story is talked about throughout the work of Galatians picking up in chapter five, verse 22, the text says by contrast, contrasting the works of the flesh. So Paul's giving the fruit of the spirit in contrast to the works of the flesh, which I actually think is pretty insightful. He doesn't specifically talk about it explicitly, but in the ways that we talked about fruit abuse, Mm. uh, that's kind of what he's talking about in the works of the flesh. That's what he's talking about in the works of the flesh. It's, it's the flesh taking over the need for fruitfulness. Now the works of the flesh are obvious fornication, impurity, that word letitious, letitiousness, Licentiousness. licentiousness. Sorry. I, I was like, I don't know what no. that word yeah. is. Licentiousness. But yeah, blah, 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 blah. All of those are fruit, fruit abuse. abuse. They're literally the things in which we are doing on our own accord to try to deal with the image of God and fruitfulness command within us outside of God. Ooh, yeah. That's his setup. Yeah. I just read something that. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I am warning you as these things. Uh, whoop. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you do not participate in the image and likeness of God, you will not receive the kingdom of God. Yeah. That's what he's setting it up as. That's the whole thing. And then he says, verse 22, by contrast of all of that, by contrast of all this fruit abuse, the fruit of the Spirit, Mm. is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine things. What's number one? Love. Mm. It boggles my mind that 
anyone can think that the Christian faith is about anything other than love. Hmm. Literally every time you turn around, it's love that becomes the kind of picture-perfect moment in our story. Yeah. And yet we have people that totally missed it. Yeah. It's not about love at all. It's about personal holiness or it's about judgment or it's about whatever, all the nonsense that we can come up with. Like, no, if your faith causes you to hate someone because of your faith, you're doing it wrong. Mm. This is about love. The fruitfulness of God is that he loves. Yeah. If your God commands you to hate another person, your God is whack, bro. Your God is whack, bro. I'm going to put that on a flipping t-shirt. I love it. I love that saying. I've been saying it for years, but like... If your God asks you to hate someone, your God is whack, bro. Yeah. Like, it's about love. We are here because of love. Second piece. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. Clayton, when you grew up, did you kind of think that God was borderline apathetic? Like, God didn't care whether or not you had a good time or not? Not that God didn't care, but that I shouldn't care because my entire existence should be to please God. And and there are sometimes God doesn't want me to have fun. Yeah. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Right. Well, and see, in the tradition we grew up in, joy was always a separate thing from happiness. And they would call that what you're talking about, happiness, and would say that joy only comes in pleasing the Father. Yeah, but isn't that just an uber-spiritualized way of saying, like... Yes. Be fruitfulness in the sense that we're talking about right now? Yes. Yeah, it's just some way of spiritualizing the difference between the two because there are so many people hurting in the world. Yeah. Like, no, joy and happiness are synonyms of one another. Agreed. Like, <laughs> same team. Yeah. Um, like, but that's the way that I was. It always, was presented. Yeah. yeah. Was, that's the way it was presented to me, too. But then I read the story and I was like, wait, God is constantly blessing people. Mm. If God didn't want you joyful and happy, now, I'm not saying like there's not hardships and suffering. Look, I'm going through a divorce. Like, there's definitely hardships and suffering. Doesn't mean there's not joy and happiness in the moments. Like, yeah. like the fruitfulness of God is that God is good. And a good God provides joy and happiness to his people. I'm just convinced of that. So, no, I don't think we need to be like apathetic and just like go around mulking in our suffering because God said so. I actually don't think God said that at all. I did. I do think God said there will be suffering. Right. Absolutely. But I don't think that's the purpose of our existence. Colin, why are we recording so much tonight? We're recording like seven episodes a night. Why are we recording seven mm-hmm. episodes? Because we have a busy week next week. Well, yes, but we're prepping... For going out of town, yeah, and celebrating a new marriage. Uh huh. We're going to a wedding tomorrow. We're going to a wedding tomorrow up near Austin. Mm-hmm. 
to be joyful and celebrate and celebrate the union of two people in marriage under God's covenant and all those things, right? Like, yep. That is what we are doing tomorrow. Um, and I dare say the wedding, the wedding at Cana was not joyful. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I bet that place is lit. I bet it's lit. I bet it's lit. I bet there's music, people. That place is hopping. Making yo. toasts and, you know, doing the whole that place Jewish is party hopping. Thing. Yeah. They're doing the, the horror. <laughs> That's right. That place is lit. Yeah. I'm convinced. Yeah, 100%. Like, God's not asking you to be miserable. By any stretch of the imagination. Mm. And on that same note, I hate that this is not talked about more. What's number three? Peace. I don't, my intention's not to beat a dead horse. <laughs> but, um, Canaanite conquest is not peaceful. Like there are things there that are happening that are disturbing to the story because they don't reflect the character of God. Yeah. They're not the fruit of the spirit. Like violence and chaos are not the fruit of the spirit. And notice, these are not fruits of the spirit as if we can pick and choose them. It is also not gentleness. It's you, also not gentleness. And you could also make the argument that there's a lack of self-control too. Possibly. Um but that's not really what we're here to talk about. No. But what it is to say is that I wish more people would would align these things in the narrative because, like, whether or not you are comfortable saying God commanded genocide, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not comfortable saying that. Right. I've got to find some other way to deal with that yeah. text. I uh, My theology doesn't allow me to say that God commanded genocide. Yeah, I can't do that. If you can find that within yourself, okay, more power to you. Um, I can't get there, and I got no desire to be there. I got qualms, bro. Uh, big qualms. Big qualms. Because it's not peaceful. It's not gentle. It doesn't reflect the fruit that we're commanded to be in pursuit of divine likeness. Is that not one of the biggest... Sorry, we got time. Is that not one of the biggest questions that a Bible nerd could ask or say? What? Or statements? I got qualms. Right? Because when you read the text, that's going on a t-shirt too. I got qualms. I got qualms. qualms. That's going on a t-shirt too. I do. I, I like the violence in the Old Testament is disturbing to me. I got I I have zero problem saying that. If you like we we talk about all the time. And I think that if you're a good reader of your Bible no matter what, you're going to have qualms at some point. Right? Whether you're on the conservative side or on the liberal side, it doesn't matter or probably better said progressive side. Um I don't know. There's a lot of people who call me firmly liberal. That's fine. Some of my best friends would call me that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, if you're a good reader of your Bible, you got questions because you're thinking critically about the text. Mm-hmm. I got qualms, bro. <laughs> and some people will call that a hermeneutic of suspicion. But it's... I, I, I would say that it's not necessarily a hermeneutic of suspicion. Mm. 
um, it's it's more a hermeneutic of like one of these things has to give. Yeah, it's a hermeneutic of I'm just reading the story as it's told to me. One of these things does not belong. <laughs> One of these things does not belong. Yeah. And unfortunately, what I see here in Galatians 5, like I don't see in the Old Testament, like I don't see these things in Canaanite conquest. I don't see these things in mass divorce. But, we but see, I do see these things in Jesus. Yes, exactly. That's where I was going. Peace is one of Jesus's big things. What, what do you do if somebody strikes you on your cheek? Turn to the other side. Turn and give him the other one. Um, when he heals the guy in the garden after Peter cuts his ear off. Um, he who live by the sword, die by the sword. Jesus is about peace. Right? Yeah. And, and I don't like the way that this is worded. Um, I do say this all the a lot just because I don't have a better way to say it, and I think that I've got it now. Um, but peace, love, and positivity. I think I'm going to flip it. Love, peace, and positivity because love is first. But I think that peace needs to be a part of this conversation in God's character. If it's not, your God is whack, Your bro. God is whack. Literally, bro. shalom. Like, mm. That's a greeting. Yeah. Like, there's a piece of it here. And let's also not forget that Jesus is immensely patient right. with the disciples. Like, they yes. constantly cannot figure out that Jesus is not here to pursue power. But, but here, let's set this up even. Can you be patient if you are not loving, joyful, and peaceful? Can Do you have the capacity to be patient? No. I don't think so. I've never asked myself that question, but I don't think so. I, I genuinely do not think, if you do not have love in your heart, you do not have the capacity for patience. Yeah. If you are unjoyful, you will be a lot less patient for sure. 100%. And if you are not peaceful, you, again, do not have the capacity for patience. Correct. Well, and on that same line, I think being patient is a huge part of the next thing, kindness. kindness. I say it all the time. Like, nobody's asking you, Christian, to really be anything more than kind, yep. to flip and love your neighbor. I, I get so frustrated because I get phone calls from like pastors of churches of uh, a median age significantly larger than that of Wellhouse, which isn't that hard because ours is really young. Um, and they ask me all the time, how do I get young families? Tell your existing families to be kind. Mm. Tell them to stop judging people. Tell them to look like Jesus well, and be kind. That's, that's the whole issue. As people look at this text, and we've talked about this before, but I will talk about it again, and I will talk it to death because this is a real problem in the church right now. The reason there, there is a mass exodus of millennials and Gen Zs is because people are not living this. Mm-hmm. 100%. Current Christians are not living by the fruits of the Spirit. Young people read this text mm-hmm. and say, the church that I see does not live this. Until you, the Christian, lives this, 
and we all in large majority start pursuing fruitfulness in this way and you start being kind you we will continue to see this mass exodus and it will become more and more concentrated and bigger and larger and larger i mean um as time goes on 100 percent. i think one of the biggest like most influential mic drop kind of comments i've ever heard is it's hard to convince a person that a God they can't see cares for them when a church they can doesn't. Yes, and along that same line, what did the church used to be in charge of, Cohen? Healthcare. Healthcare. Foster system. Foster system. Elder care. Elder care. All the things that we're told to care about in the Bible. Generosity. Right. Mm -hmm. Giving of your own resources to support hurting people. Correct. We are no longer in charge of that. No. Um, but it's also because we weren't doing a good job of it. Because we weren't doing a good job of it. And I've made that comment to people before, and they've wanted to kind of push oh. back on it. Oh, yeah. They don't like it. Yeah. They don't and like it. I'm like, no, just go, just go read a history book. Just go look at the names of most hospitals in the Texas Medical Center. No, that's not what I'm saying. Why, the question is always... Why was it taken away? Because we weren't doing a good job. Because we weren't doing a good job of it, and people pushed back on me. Yeah, pushed back at me on that. No, we weren't doing a good job. Think about all of the orphanages ran by Christians. Think about the horror stories that you have heard from those things. Um, the church was not doing a good job of taking care of the orphan. Nope. The church was not doing a good job of taking care of the sick. The elderly. The widow. The widow. Um, the immigrant. I was about to go there. but Which we're not doing we're a not job doing of it anything now. for that right now. That, I, I, if I could say what, there's one thing I hate about being a Texan, it's the way we treat immigrants. We don't do a good job of it. In fact, we're the opposite of do a good job of it. We're oppressors of immigrants. Yeah. There's that new evangelical term again. <laughs> if you know, you know. Um, but in a weird way, even after we've talked about all the things that we've just talked about, they still preach faithfulness. You must. Faithfulness and fruitfulness are tied together. They are. But my point is, the current church is not doing all those things but still preaching faithfulness as if they are Faithful to some sort of God. Well, but let's ask the question, what is faithfulness? That is a good question. I think for the church that's doing a poor job of all these other things, I think faithfulness is my um, my fire insurance. Mm. I'm faithful to Jesus because he keeps me out of hell. That's not faithfulness. Yeah. Faithfulness isn't living a life following Jesus so that I don't get a punishment. Faithfulness is living a committed life of Jesus because I'm, I'm a faithful mm. follower of Jesus. Yeah. Not because of what he can give me, but yeah. because of who he is and who he's shown me that he is. Yeah. And because he is all the things I want to be. Yeah. 
and like we talked about last week, which I have to hang my hat on this. I mean, Colin were talking about this earlier this week because, you know, as you guys know, I'm currently deconstructing some of the things that we're talking about. Um, Cullen made the comment, we know that God is good because of Jesus. We are faithful to Jesus. If Jesus was not a part of this story, I would not be aligned with it. Right. I am here because of Jesus. And I think Paul does a really good job of setting that up, that we are faithful to Jesus. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And... I think gentleness and self-control are actually kind of put together um, because I think they go hand in hand. Mm. Um, which, once again, I'm not, I'm not going to be blind to the fact. I'm not going to try to pretend that it's not there. There are times that we see the God of the Old Testament not possessing mm. gentleness and self-control. There are times that we do. I think in his exchange with Moses on Mm -hmm. Mount Sinai, he's like, hey, I want to kill them all. And Moses is like, hey, bro, don't do that. Yeah. God shows himself under self-control and gentleness and doesn't do it. But there are other times where God doesn't seem to have that. And imagine how easy it would have been for God to just do that. That takes a lot of self-control. If something's that easy... God literally destroyed an entire city with fire and brimstone. Yeah. Genesis 19. Yeah. Like. It would not have been hard. It's not difficult. Um, some It's harder to have self-control for things that are difficult. But the things that are easy. Um, kind of hard to have self-control over. Mm-hmm. Um, and with as easy as that would have been for God, love persisted. A hundred percent. I think, look, we all have this innate desire to pursue the fruitfulness of God, mm. to fulfill our image and likeness, to do the things that God first commanded us, which is to be fruitful and multiply. Like, we have this innate desire to do this. And throughout the story, there are times where I see the God of the Old Testament and I question whether or not even he is living up to those standards. There's one thing I never question, whether or not Jesus did. Hmm. When I say it over and over and over again, I've said it on Faithful Deconstruction. I've said it on sermon series. I've said it on podcasts, and I'll say it again. I am here because of Jesus. This fruitfulness, this thing that I've been commanded, I feel like I have a pretty, like, there are times where the Old Testament narrative doesn't look like it's actually doing its job. Like it doesn't look like it's do like God is carrying out this fruitfulness. But for whatever is happening there, the things that I don't understand, the gaps where I'm missing parts of the story that would be hugely beneficial details that I don't have. And so I can't fully understand the story. 
the peace that I can understand and the peace that I can be confident in is that Jesus is the end of that story and the epitome of fruitfulness.